Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> We're tonight's entertainment. Look at my butt. Now look at my front butt. Wada, 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 wada. You got a lot to cover tonight. So welcome to the CS. I'm in the background, as usual, is Nate. I yes. filmed this list this week, Nate. I'm not going to give them the credit and saying who it is, but it just seems like this is a bunch of uh, millennial hipsters who, even for millennial hipsters, they leave out a lot. I'm like, I thought they would pick that one over that. Right? Yeah. Well, you're right. We got a lot to talk about. So, uh I want to apologize for our listeners that we had to de- uh that we had to um delay the show by a day, but um uh unfortunately, I was sober last night, so I was unable to fulfill my duties as uh, as co-host. So, uh tonight, fear fear not. I I am once again drunk and high and we will get this show on the road. Steven, okay. tee us off. <laughs> In number 50, we're going to scrunch some of these together. They have two from John Carpenter on this list. Escape, no, three. Well, one, I think, long's on there, so I'll leave it to itself. One, Escape from New York, and two, They Live. I don't think they belong in a cold movie list. No. Escape from New York um, is a great B-movie action film. Same with They Live. Just because something becomes politically pertinent doesn't mean it's a cult movie. Yeah, and I I think um, Escape from New York. I think I mean I don't I of course I've seen it several times and it's one of my favorite John Carpenter films. But I don't believe that Escape from New York was like really a like a theatrical flop. It was a like you said it was a B movie. It, you know. So I think it I think it made quite a splash when it first came out. Uh, whereas I I would consider they live a cult film because uh, you know it is it does have a weird thrust behind it that you know was obviously Carpenter's comment on Reagan era politics, but um, you know it wasn't easily digested by the general public at the time, but I think it's been rediscovered more and more over the years by, you know, uh, subsequent generations. So I, I would consider they live cult film. I would consider they live a cult film, but escape from okay. New York. No. Yeah. Yeah. And um, next on the list is one of those, I do a show. I don't know if I'm going to do it anymore, but I should just, I do a show every year on May Day, and that's the Wicker Man from 1972. That one's moved beyond cult classic to fucking written in stone classic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we've talked about that's this before. That's why I say Again. they live a cult classic, because it's moved beyond that to classic. All right. I'll hear that. I'll, I'll hear. I'll, I'll hear your arguments. You you may approach the bench, but <laughs> uh, but yeah, um, yeah, you're right. Wicker Man 
I think Wicker Man was a, you know, it was kind of so far ahead of its time as like a slow burn horror mystery. Um, the only other movie I can really compare it to from that era is uh, uh, Don't Look Now. You know, it, it not that it's structurally similar, but it seems to have that same kind of overall vibe to it um, where there's a mystery, there's a mystery you know, like slow burn mystery unfolding and, uh, you know, and then at the end you get the shocking twist. Um, I, I, I would agree with you that Wicker Man, Wicker Man is not a cult film. It's, it's a stone cold classic. It's a great flick. And I would definitely move Wicker Man out and put in Don't Look Now. Speaking yeah. Of Nicholas, I, I, well, the next one is one that until the DVD hit, has all three versions of the film? 
Well, they have the longest version, which is the only one really worth watching. They have, yeah, they have the longest version, yeah. Right. And next no, is but, uh, one that I know you like, but I'll replace it with another one of the director's movies. And that is Ghost World. Yes. And you and I no. talked about this. Yeah. But, and you know which one I'll replace it with. Yeah, Plum. That's the whole yeah, film, but, not Ghost World. No, I and you know I think the term cult film is used loosely in a lot of these instances because I understand where they're coming from with with Ghost World. Um, yeah, where me too. It, it's it's based on a cult comic book, you know. But the film itself, uh, I mean, it's got Steve Buscemi, Scarlett Johansson. Uh, you know, it, it, it's just it it's a it it flew under the radar because there wasn't a lot of interest in the source material for the general public. But that's not necessarily how you define a cult film. Uh, you know that yeah, Crumb. That's a cult film, as in a movie yeah. that no one watched when it first came out, but once people started to watch it, that mother caught fire. On video and secondary viewing. Yeah, yeah, it, and and it was a real like. I mean, I've been a fan of Crumb my whole life, but that was like a deep dive, and I I never knew all that stuff about his family and his and and his friends. You know, like all I knew were were his comic books. You know, I I didn't know all that stuff, mm. and that that was a. Deep, that was a deep dive, and, and yeah, Crumb is an amazing film. And I know, uh, you know, you may not care for Ghost World. I do like it a lot. I do think it's a charming movie. But again, that goes back to what we've talked about before. Is I'm a really big fan of Daniel Klaus, and Terry Zweigoff has directed a couple of films based off of uh, of Daniel Klaus comic books, and. Uh, oh God! Art film confidential. Yeah, art film <laughs> confi- art, art school. Yeah, art school confidential. Yeah, um, but you know, um, it, you know, you sometimes you just have to lean into something. You know, uh, I've mentioned this before on the show, but Stephen King says, you know, when you write something and then you sell it to someone so they can make it into a movie that doesn't diminish what you actually did as an artist. It just, it's just a different form. You know, it's someone else's version of your story and you can't get all butthurt about it and say, Oh, well, this is a shitty version of my movie, a shitty version of my book or comic book. Then he goes out uh, and says, The Shining. Then Stephen King goes out and says, Yeah, um, 
Yeah, kids is a kids is a is a rough one. Um, I do, I appreciate a lot of it, but yeah, I have I have reservations about Larry Clark as a photographer and a director. Um, I'm surprised that he hasn't been hashtag Me Too'd yet because uh, <laughs> yeah, that guy has done a lot of skeevy stuff in his career. Uh, uh, I, I do like anything. Uh, kids is on there, but SFW is not. Kids is on there, but Spanking uh, yeah. the Monkey is not. Right. Yeah. And we we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. I can't I can't remember what the topic of our show was that night because you know I'm an alcoholic and a drug addict, but. We did bring up uh, spanking the monkey, and yeah, that's that's a very uh, a very interesting cult film, and it does uh, yeah it yeah kids is creepy in like everything that Harmony uh, Corinne has ever written or directed is just creepy and a. Right, and I understand that's the point of his cinema, uh, but melding his ideas with uh, with Larry Clark is just yeah that those two should not spend a lot of time together. It, it's it's not right. Kids yeah. is definitely clown house and yeah, Larry. If Larry Clark was ever accused of. Uh, pedophilia, all they would have to do is bring in a bunch of his pictures and his films and they'd be like, yeah, you, this guy's definitely a creep. And uh, I, I, I mean, I say that as someone who's a very far left liberal and I don't want to go all 1984 and be like, you know, thought crimes or whatever, but come on, man. This dude's been taking naked pictures of underage girls and filming sex scenes with young girls and and boys for years now, so I yeah, don't know. That one film of his that never did get released in the United States. Oh, something Park. Uh, I don't Park. think I ever saw. It. I don't think I ever saw it. Imagine a Larry Clark film with, with seriously hardcore fucking sex scenes. <laughs> right. Good. And it's the first time I ever heard of uh, uh, what's his name? Da, da, da. That's Lahane. Yeah. Yeah. Who, that who did direct And a critical film. It's uh, what's his name? He was in Black Swan too. Oh, uh, Sal. Or is it Vincent Vincent Casal? Right. And yeah. This one was remade. The whole plot was remade as a belly with Tupac Shakur. So of course the movie yeah. never did get a big wide release over here. Right. It did really it well like as a I I think it did really well at the Cannes Film Festival, but yeah, like you said, it yeah. never really made it across. Or it never really made it across the pond. But um, 
Yeah, and you're right. It, Belly was basically a remake of the same the same film, and I, I actually like I actually like Belly a lot as well. I would I wouldn't necessarily replace uh, Lahane with Belly, but Belly I think also deserves it, and it probably does have a cult following. It, it didn't even with oh, Tupac. Oh, I'm not saying replace it. I'm just, it's one of those where I'm like, okay, you might not know Lahane, but if you're in our generation or listen to this, you will know Bally. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and, and, I, and I'm... Oh, I was just going to uh, chime in real quick and say, and I'm always a sucker for a black and white movie. That's made a modern black and white movie. I mean, I like... Of yeah. course, I watch from all eras, but... I really like a modern black and white movie. Like it, it puts me right in the like the lighthouse, you know, or it, stuff like that. It, it, oh it, God, it I love that. Right, it sucks me right in. And uh, uh, what was a field in England? You know, like a modern black and white film really sucks me right in. I love the. I, I just love it. I would it. love I, to I don't, see you watch the field in England on shrooms. Damn it. <laughs> well. There's certain uh, drug films, and I would put a field in England on there. Because there's a certain drug film that there's ones that's like, hate drugs, watch this movie. And then you get ones like, uh, feeling like, here, fucking mushrooms. Well, well, hey, how about this? Uh, on, on one of our shows, you know I always have access to mushrooms, so on one of our shows, I'll eat a bunch of mushrooms and we can do a live viewing of it. All right. I, I'd I mean, be up you, for it. Well, you see a movie that basically what, nails and stone what drugs you take while you're watching it. Yeah. yeah, they tell you right in the movie what drugs you should be on. Uh, hey, man, if you haven't taken your yeah. mushrooms, it, it's also like you know the whole uh, the whole thing they say about you can think up uh, you know Wizard of Oz and Dark Side of the Moon. I almost yeah. feel like a field in England. I feel like a field in England. There's like now is when you should take your mushrooms. <laughs> yeah, and the next one is one of the few midnight movies on there, and I like it, but it's not the best. And there's other midnight movies I would put over Harold and Maude. I love the Cap Stevens soundtrack. I'll give you that much. But yeah, yeah, I love the Cat Stevens soundtrack, and I do love Harold and Maude. But if we're talking midnight movies, I don't know where you're gonna lean. But yeah, depending on your sense of humor. It could either be a racer head or pink flamingos, or do you have a different uh, one in pink mind? Pink flamingos is not on this list. Uh, one of those might be later on the list. And uh, yeah. moving on, next one. If you're a kid in the '90s, all you would have to our generation, all you have to do is say this, and you'll get the right response. <laughs> yeah. Yep. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's uh my my friend Sean and I uh 
uh, who who run the record label and the website. You know, Sean. Um, yeah, that's that's a big thing. That's a big thing for us. Uh, whenever we're having a disagreement about something, when we're working on a project, one of us yells "Tetsuo!" and the other one yells "Grenada!" <laughs> yeah, it was such a big film for us. It was our really first big adult animation we got over here. And I'm not talking hentai or porn. But before that, all we got was stuff like the cup version of Voltron Speed Racer, you know, that was cut because, oh, this is cartoons. And then Akira came yeah. and all of us, that's when we're just sitting there with our jaws dropped. Yeah. And, and Akira. To everything. So yeah, Akira definitely paved the way for like years of actual good anime in America. We got Vampire Hunter D after Akira. I mean, um, you know, yeah, we started the, to actually. The 90s right now, let's see, uh, Yoshi, uh, Vampire Hunter D, uh, Demon City, Senjoku, Nine by Nine Eyes. Yeah. But yeah, Hero yeah. was the first one to be released on the big screen. And it's yeah. And Hero with the largest speakers you can with that fucking brilliant soundtrack. Also, um, much like, I mean, what which came, Ghost in the Shell, which came later, though, um, it, it showed... Like, Vampire Hunter D has a great story, but the animation, even though it came after Akira, as far as I remember, um, the animation was still kind of uh, a little basic. Akira, like, films like Akira and Ghost in the Shell, really, like, they experimented with different ways that you could uh, use animation uh and they're amazing films. I mean, all, all, all of them. I, I'll give all of them. I'll give all of them that. Akira, Vampire Hunter D, Ghost in the Shell. They're all amazing films. Um, but, yeah, they, they really started to push the limits of, of animation. And, I mean, it's no secret that uh, that the Japanese have always been ahead of us when it comes to computer technology and the ability to do those kinds of things. Uh but, yeah, yeah, speaking okay. of uh, drug movies, our next one is the drug film for the millennials, and that would be Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Yes. Um, I, I'm 50-50 on Terry Gilliam. I talk about this all the time with various directors. I'm 50-50 on Terry Gilliam. Um, of course, I love Monty Python. Being a stand-up comedian and being, you know, a comedy writer, of course, I love uh, Monty Python. And Brazil is one of my favorite films of all time. And I am, a, as a writer and a reader, I am a big fan of Hunter S. Thompson. But um, I don't know. Uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, the film version, feels a little uneven to me. And I think a big part of my problem with is that I just don't, I don't always care for Johnny Depp. I mean, I, I, I like him in some roles, well, but I just don't always care for him. Yeah. 
my problem with it is that the millennials and stuff went in watching the Hunter S. Thompson movie without knowing who the hell Hunter S. Thompson is. There's no... <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's like they, putting them on a Richard that, Pryor album without telling who the fuck Richard Pryor is. Yeah, I I totally agree with that. Um, it's it's very um, it's the the establishment of him as a character is dubious. He's an unreliable narrator. Uh, although the Hunter S. Thompson character played by Johnny Depp does narrate the entire story. Um, he's an unreliable narrator, you know, and, and so people who go in not knowing who Hunter S. Thompson is are never, are never going to really grasp the situation. Um, you know, because the movie as well as the book, uh, is, uh, is about, uh, Thompson going out to, uh, Vegas to, to report on the, the motocross race. And for Sports Illustrated, which is not what we all know Hunter S. Thompson for, um, you know, uh, yeah, okay, he was a writer for Sports mm-hmm. Illustrated, but most people know him better as a writer for Rolling Stone and his novels. Um, I, that's why I think uh, Cameron... the Hell's Angels. Yeah, Riding with the Hell's Angels, yeah. Uh, that's that's why uh, my uh, favorite line... Democratic, from... or was it Republican convention he went to? Yeah, he went to the Democratic convention. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that that's that's why my uh, my favorite line from Cameron Crowe's um, Almost Famous is when the yeah. Rolling Stone editor calls him and he says, "We already have one Hunter Thompson. We don't need another one." <laughs> <laughs> but that uh, for writers in the sixties, seventies, and eighties. Hunter S. Thompson is the guy we wanted to be. The crazy-ass motherfucking madman. Who got to go out and do drugs, fuck women, write the shit, and get paid for it. Yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he, he lived such a life of madness, but yet somehow was so successful. Like, I mean... We joke about it on the show all the time. I drink and I do drugs, but I'm not incredibly successful. Yeah, I'm a stand-up comedian who's on a podcast and has a blog, and I still have the uh, tenacity to maintain a day job that pays my bills. But, uh, yeah, I'm almost 50, and uh, I don't think things are going to turn out the way I wanted them to. Yeah. And the move sideways is- like uh, Fear and Loathing Las Vegas, I would definitely highly recommend you go see the other Hunter S. Thompson movie. I'm not talking about that piece with the Run Diary. I'm talking with no. Buffalo Bill Murray, Hunter yes. S. Thompson. Yes, very good, very good film. I I I love that movie, and yeah, uh, that was the first. That was actually the first. Uh, version of Hunter S. Thompson on film, and I believe uh, Johnny Depp tells stories about how when he was preparing for his role in Fear and Loathing, 
that he lived with Hunter S. Thompson for a while and really got to know him. And I believe Bill Murray did the same thing. Uh, when the Buffalo Room came out in like 1976, didn't it? I mean, that was that. That's yeah. Either late late 70s or early 80s. So yeah, they uh, whereas, sell it as a comedy because Bill Murray was still known for meatballs and Saturday Night Live. And then there were right, a lot of people right. who were pissed off that it wasn't a comedy. And then there were Hunter S. Thompson fans who were pissed off that it wasn't serious enough. <laughs> but if you had right. a great movie about a drunken buffoon of a writer, go see Barfly with Mickey Rourke. Oh, baby, don't get me started on Barfly. Uh, we could talk uh, the rest of the show. I could do a whole show about Barfly. I fucking love Barfly. That's one of my favorite movies yeah. of all time. I love Bukowski, and, I mean, that that movie, yeah, that movie is just amazing. I, I, I can watch it every oh, day for the rest of my life. another show, because I would advise you, for me, the Bukowski movie, and we'll move on after this, is Tales of Ordinary but, Madness. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but, moving on. All right. We'll talk about it another time. This we got other shit great to do. Normally I make fun of millennials, but then they pull something out of their ass every once in a while that just kicks me in the ass. And I noted it would have really gone over in the midnight movie era, and that's Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Jesus, yeah. that fucking great fucking musical. <laughs> now, I I like I like musicals and I like uh and I like it I like it when musicals go in a different direction. Like, you know, I I collect vinyl and whenever I go to like, you know, Goodwill or uh Salvation Army or whatever, I'll dig through the records and if I find like an old musical like My Fair Lady or Mary Poppins or something, I'll usually buy it just because I think that music is fun. But I like it when a musical uh, pushes pushes boundaries, and this one definitely does. It's a different style of musical, but it's really good. It's a and it it not only is it a fun. Uh, I originally saw it on stage. It, as most people probably know, oh, it was originally a trashy uh, version of it. You're lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, and when I say trashy, but, uh, the first version of this was set and it made the place where it showed like a dive bar. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But I will, I will say this and this, all right. You know, Stephen, every week you and I have to make a controversial statement to ensure that someone leaves nasty comments on on uh, on our Spotify page or our website. Um, fuck Hamilton. I don't give a shit. I have tried and tried and tried to listen to Hamilton, and I, I Hamilton just don't fuck. Hamilton is shitty as 1776 was. <laughs> I fucking hate it. I can't get into it. There's nothing about it. I I I like Lin Manuel Miranda, and I I appreciate the sentiment that he's trying to make with with the 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 play. But 
I I fucking hate Hamilton. I can't get into it at all. Yeah. But give me something yeah. like Hedwig and the Angry Inch over that crap. Now moving on. Yeah. Is, this one was one of our cult films in the video store era of the late eighties. And that would be Jim Jarvis's Stranger Than Paradise. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've always been a big Jim Jarmusch fan. Um, like, you're right though. Our from our generation, like, I I don't even remember how I first got into Jim Jarmusch. Uh, I really don't. I I think I was young enough that, like you said, just be like randomly picking a movie at the video store, and I don't remember if it was uh. Uh, Stranger Than Paradise, but um, what's what's the uh, what's the one with um, uh, Tom Waits and uh, uh, when they're all in jail together? What, what Stranger Than Paradise? No, Stranger that's Than Stranger Paradise. Than Par- oh, yeah. that is. Yeah, oh, yeah uh, that's right. Tom Waits, Roberto Bertolini. Before yeah, he was all right. Guy and that life is wonderful shit. Oh, don't worry. Yeah. I got the controversial thing coming up for the next one. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I can't remember. Like, a lot of those early Jim Jarmusch movies kind of blend together for me because I haven't watched them yeah, in a long, long time. Yeah. Uh, they're Stranger Than Paradise. His first ones were like uh, Stranger Than Paradise, uh, Mystery Train, uh, Night on Earth, the uh, Dead Man. Yeah, Dead Dead Man. Um, I like Mystery Train. That that movie's interesting. Um, it uh, uh, it Mystery Train. I, and I know it's not just because it has Asian people in it. Kind of reminds me of uh, some of the Asian films. Um, uh, Wong Kar Thai said that. Yeah. Wong Kar Kai yeah. said that Mystery Chain and Jarmus's work was a big influence on him. Yeah, and I can see that. So I you can just see that. That's... that one to the wall. Yeah. That. Yeah, that's that's definitely the feeling I get when I watch when I watch that or I watch one of his films. Uh, um, I I never really cared for Night on Earth. Uh, I thought it was kind of. Uh, Pandemic, but you know, not pandemic. Pandet, <laughs> pedantic. <laughs> you yeah. told me you wanted me. You told me you wanted me to be drunk tonight. So there you go. Um, but yeah, I well, love that's Dead a hard Man. fucking Dead word, pedant. You know, I, even I'm sober and I can't even think of that uh, pedantic or whatever the fuck it is. Childish and stupid. There were a bunch of, they call them cult films now that were just bunches of shit. Let's see, there's uh, Wolf Adam Sandler where he plays the metal guy, uh, Metalheads or something. I forget what it's called. Oh, Airhead? Airhead. Is that the. Yeah. And Leo Man. Leo uh, Man. Yeah. Well, people know it for right now. Reality Bites. And this other piece of shit, which 
if you like it, you have no brain, you have no taste, mm-hmm. and you just want to fuck uh, uh, the guy from Errol Smith's daughter. And that's Empire <laughs> Records. If anybody pulled any shit like that working in a record store back then, they would not get fired. They would get their asses beaten to death. <laughs> me and you worked work in a record store, and I walked up to you. Hey, man, what? I just bet every fucking cent we had in the store on gambling and lost it. Yeah. Ow, Bob, stop. Ow, stop. Ow, quit. Stop stabbing me. <laughs> Well, we were talking about this before we went on the air tonight, and I I do have a friend who loves Empire Records. Um, there are some scenes in it that I enjoy that I think are kind of quirky and humorous, but there are some, like, eye roll, just like, you know, this shit is so ridiculous kind of stuff. Um, That's but as my I, problem as, with when they try to be... Quirky. Um, the, the quirkiness doesn't bother me as much as the dramedy. Like you know, uh, yeah. spoiler alert for a, spoiler alert for a movie that's fucking thirty years old. But the girl didn't really try to kill herself. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, she but, got her head shaved and put in a coffin. <laughs> but um, uh, I. Like I mentioned to you before, I I think a big reason why this movie, uh, you know, kind of uh, kind of has a cult following is because it was by the same director as Pump Up the Volume, which you and I agreed earlier should replace this on the cult list. I would rather watch Pump Up yeah. the Volume well, a hundred times. The, I would put the two Nick Horror piece adaptions over this piece of shit. Right. Yeah. And that if is we're about a boy and yep. high fidelity. Yeah. If 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 you don't if if you like Empire Records more than you like high fidelity then I don't ever, I'm, then you're never going to get to see my record collection. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> yeah. There, we can do know, that like, speech that Jack Black says in High Fidelity and replace it with one of the movies on this list with Empire Records and High Fidelity. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, High Fidelity is definitely, and I I would consider it a cult film. I mean, it never really gained any traction, but it's a great it, it's a great movie and it's highly rewatchable. Um, and I mean, I guess it. I you guess know it what depends I say on, about that? Jones had a cult. Charles Manson had a cult. Donald Trump had a cult. I would say the experience watching Empire movie is the same as dealing with that kind of cult. <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. No, I, I I firmly believe that Empire Records only made any money, and it didn't make much, but I, I firmly believe it only it made, made any money. money because they had a pretty goddamn good soundtrack. Yeah, and like I said, Coming off of the now pump, pump up the volume, 
was a was a cult film by the same director and I think coming off of that and we're talking about like Pump Up the Volume and Heathers and all those Christian Slater movies kind of like you know pushed into the but I think that they that pushed into the next generation and then you know the kids who were into those movies got into movies like Empire Records you know I mean, yeah, and we really, and really, us guys, we would admit it. We wanted to be Christian Slater and pump up the volume and be the cool kid listening to Leonard Cohen. Right. <laughs> well, I don't know about the you, nerd. One, I'm just, I, I can't think about why this is on the list, and that's Clue from the eight. Why? <laughs> yeah. I don't really know. It's a I movie. mean, I, yeah, I I I think probably more than anything, Clue would be considered a cult film because of the cast. And if you're not a film fanatic, and if you're if you don't watch a lot of like comedy television and you know sitcoms and stuff, and variety shows and you know uh SCTV and Saturday Night Live and that kind of stuff you know I think that's why it, it's considered a cult classic because I think because of the cast but also you know as well as I do Well who plays Mr. Body include I do not remember I haven't watched that movie for 25 years Amazing. I know, I know Tim Curry's in it. I know Michael McKean no, is in it. Seriously, Reaping from Fear. Don't know. Nothing. No, Reaping, L-E-E-V-I-N-G, the Reaping or Fear. Um, but this is one I've been wanting to revisit for a while. Um, 
I do remember liking it when I initially saw it, but I don't know. As far as cult film status, I'm not sure if I would grant it that. Um, it's, yeah, it's, I would because again, no one went to see it in theaters. It was butchered. Yeah. I, I would I would go back to what know we what the fuck it has because they sold it as a sci-fi action horror film and people were pissed off because it's a goddamn haunted house movie in space. Yeah, I would I would go back to what we were talking about earlier and say it's more of a B it's more of a B movie, not really a cult movie. Yeah. Uh, well, it has you know. a big cult now. They used to see how many fucking petitions people have. Find the last 20 minutes. We try to. We can. We'll go look again. <laughs> Release the Snyder Cut of Justice League. <laughs> later this year. Next is one that was a cult film for teenage girls of the 80s. And they won't admit it. It's because of David Bowie. I think they were Bowie film on here. David Boy's codpiece in that labyrinth. That one was good. And it goes back to your love with Monty Python because Terry Jones was one of the writers of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I don't, you know, there are a lot of movies that I loved when I was younger that just kind of wash over me now. I mean, if I'm flipping through the channel. Girl. Yeah. Get well, the girls. Ask your wife. She'll probably be like, oh, I love Labyrinth. Well, I'm sure you remember I was raised a teenage girl, Stephen. Don't don't be diminutive. <laughs> don't be dismissive. No. <laughs> I was, you know, that'd be hell of a movie title. I was raised a teenage girl. <laughs> yeah, it, that could be our that could be our cult movie. <laughs> I was yeah. raised. You mean girls don't tease them enough? <laughs> Moving on next uh, is uh, UHF by Weird Allen. That one, I could see playing the Midnight Weirdo movie circuit. Yeah, I love I love UHF, but I mean, I I love Weird Al. Like uh, we have a we have a TV station here in in Maine. And on Saturday mornings, uh, they show a, a bunch of old TV shows, and they show the Weird Al show. And I had totally forgotten about the Weird Al show. Um, uh, but but that's uh, my issue with Weird Al is I I really enjoy him. I would love to see him in concert someday. Uh, but I like him more as an actor than I like him as a musician. Like, how many fucking songs about food can you write before I just don't give a shit anymore, you know? Like, uh, but, like, the Weird Al show. Well, I don't and, like none of his parodies. His parody songs get old quick, but his non-parody stuff is fucking great. Like the one with, oh, like, yeah. uh, Dave, where he talks about uh, being a psychopath. Oh, I was when I was a little kid, uh, torturing rats with a hacksaw and blowing the wings. Uh, yeah, I mean, no nature trail. You know, nature trail to hell. Nature you know, trail to hell, hell is. Yeah, nature yeah. trail to hell in 3D. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and 
and uh, uh, you don't love me anymore. His original stuff is a hell of a lot better than his parodies because his original yeah. material he goes into some very dark fucking places. <laughs> it's like last night you set me on fire and stabbed me in the face and made me don't love me anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you know, I mean. We talk about this all the time. You know I'm a stand-up comedian, and I hang out with a lot of stand-up comedians, and stand-up comedians are some of the darkest, most depressed people I've ever met in my life. You know, like, we go out on stage and make people laugh, and then we go backstage and eat a slice of pizza and talk about how we just want to fucking kill ourselves. Like, yeah, yeah. stand-up comedians are dark. Like, it's, it's a weird yeah. dichotomy. You know. And moving on to the next one, we have a semi sequel to a failed wannabe cult film that became a failed cult film. <laughs> and that would be Big Trouble in Little China. Oh. <clears throat> yeah. I was mentioning this earlier. You know, like uh, I can't be- I can't remember if I brought it up when we were talking initially about John Carpenter, but I am, like I said, like so many uh, directors that I love, uh, John Carpenter is 50-50 for me, man, and Big Trouble in Little China is a big no for me. I I do not enjoy it. There are scenes that I, I like, like, but... It, but the problem with it is that it came out too early. It would have came out in 92, 93 after we started getting all the stuff like Time in China, the wire foo stuff, as we called it over here. If we got that around then, it would not have flopped. Yeah, that's not a bad assessment. You're probably right. If it had had played like like a spoof of Kung Fu movies after we had gotten a spate of really good Kung Fu movies, then it probably would have done a lot better. Um, And maybe that's, I mean, yeah, maybe that's why, I don't know. Just, it just, I think you and I agree with this a lot. There are a lot of times where a movie just doesn't hit you because it just came into your life at the wrong time. And, you know, even as even as a John Carpenter fan, when I saw Big Trouble in Little China, I was just like, "Man, doesn't do much for me. It it just never worked for me." Um, I still love John Carpenter. And your argument for Big Trouble, I would have to put that for my opinion. The next one, and that's the uh, Broken Lizard Super Troopers. I never understood yeah. the cult love for this movie. No, um, I, you know, it's stoner humor, and even as a stoner, I don't particularly love it. Um, it's a very formulaic comedy film, and um, I'll tell you right now, even as a comedian and a comedy writer and someone who loves all aspects of comedy, I always hate it when I, like, not enough comedy films just lean into the comedy for 90 minutes 
every friggin' comedy film feels like at the last half hour, everything has to get serious, you know, whether it's a rom-com or even if it's a satire, well, no matter, you know, they, not everyone, obviously, but so no, many of I them like feel it's like, okay, the last 20 minutes are here, we got to put it in a plot. But the one yeah, I would exactly. place it with would be one that would have the first two thirds of this movie has no plot, and what's the plot of the last third? Hey, let's let them drive a van made of weed, looking for weed. <laughs> I'm right. sorry, Up in Smoke belongs on that list. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Cheech and Chong. I mean, uh, that is we joked about stoner comedy movies. Oh yeah, and you and I have joked about this before, where you know we talk about all these movies and and albums and all this stuff that we were allowed to do when we were kids. And I told you the only my mother let me watch Last House on the Left and Solo before I was even twelve. But oh, when she found that Cheech and Chong record in my in my room, nope, none of that, no no Cheech and Chong. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, but notice that every complaint you had is not in up in smoke. They just let the comedy be the comedy. Yeah, um, you know what I what I've always thought about as being a fan of uh, of like you know all the different sketch comedy shows. Uh, I always thought Cheech and Chong should have a sketch comedy show. They that would have been a great uh, outlet for them, you know. Um, I mean, I know obviously they yeah, had a stage still act. Smoking, the last movie where it basically was filmed in a sketch comedy show. Yeah, yeah. I, I would have loved. To, I would have loved to have seen more of that. You know, uh, I mean, you think about a lot of, uh, Abby and I were talking the other day, again, about Monty Python, and I mentioned, uh, you know, the meaning of life, uh, because I woke up in the morning, I masturbated, and then I felt like singing Every Sperm is Sacred because of my Catholic guilt, so Abby yeah, had no idea. That what movie I'm... is hilarious. <laughs> That one is Abby the most hadn't. underrated of all of Python's movies. Yeah. And Abby had no idea what I was talking about, so I said, well, Monty Python, yeah. The Meaning of Life, is basically just an, an extra long episode of Monty Python. It's, it's sketch comedy. It, yeah. It's not really linked. And I love you the scene where they're in the sex education school. Yo, son, you yeah. behave right there. My wife come here to show you how to have sex, and you're going to behave like a gentleman. <laughs> well, hey, this is a great transition, because unless I'm mistaken, yeah, I think I know. Is, is 1984 and a half. 1984 and a half? Yeah. Yes, it is. the original title of Brazil. That's the what Tilly Gilliam wanted to call it, 1984 and a half. <laughs> Are you there? 
Yeah. Oh, he's back. You, but yet, oh, here's the you funny hung, thing. You hung up uh, on me. Brazil. No, it just hung up itself. But Brazil, you complained about how comedy through that and get serious last half line don't work. Well, why does Brazil work? Well, Brazil Brazil mixes uh, comedy and drama throughout, but they do it. The dream sequences are his dramatic, um, are, are, are the drama, you know, his dramatic interpretations of what's happening. And the comedy really doesn't end. Um, Although the actual ending is dramatic, um, there's... It's hilarious once you get the joke. Yeah, exactly. It, it's it's measured. You know, um, by getting you by getting you, uh, what is it, the hero wins by getting lobotomized. Yeah, right? <laughs> and, yeah, it, it's a very... It's very measured comedy. It, it, it was, it was definitely ahead of its time. Um, I think of scenes like um, when he first gets the job in the office, and they have to slide the desk back and forth between the two uh, offices, and uh, yeah. you know, even the very end, the torture scene where he's about to get lobotomized when uh, you know. All of a sudden, you get that quick shot of the baby mask. You know, uh, who who is that? That uh, is it, Terry Palin, who wears the who plays that character. Yeah, Michael Palin. Uh, oh, Michael Palin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terry Gilliam directed. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it, it's a bizarre film, but yeah, like you said, there's a punchline at the end there when when they finally do spoiler alert for a 45 year old movie, they get away at the end or do they? He actually <laughs> does because he's stuck in his mind and they can't torture him anymore. <laughs> yeah. Right. But yeah, I love but Brazil. It's one of my things. When it first come out over here, none of us liked it. Why? Because it was fucking cut by a fucking hour and the ending was changed. Yeah, Terry Gilliam has had so much trouble with, I mean, studios in general. They're constantly, and this is funny because we were talking about Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas and uh, another Terry Gilliam film. And I don't, I don't know what if he had difficulties with getting that film made or if he had difficulties getting his cut out into the general public, I would assume not as much as what happened with Brazil because at, by the time yeah. Fear and Loathing, yeah, by the time Fear and Loathing came out, the, the land, the, 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 uh, you know, landscape was much different in Hollywood and, and Johnny Depp to write his own tickets. So, yeah. but next, is a film that you're going to be shocked that I say doesn't belong on a cult movie list. 
God, both of these movies are so fucking classic since The Raid and The Raid 2. I love them. They're a bit of The Raid and The Raid 2, the two best films of the last decade. What would I call them cult films? No. No, I no, I think they're stone cold action films. I mean, um I I yeah. would I would I would go back to uh like um I think you and Hard I were boiled. talking about hard boiled, um and and uh I I think the the bridge between John Woo's films and the Raid films uh that made you know, that uh, would be like Rumble in the Bronx, you know? It, it's kind of like a... Well, you that know, woman you, with Vincent, Vincent Casal. Yeah, but I, I'm saying like, it. I'm just saying yeah, like a bridge. But yeah, saying, no, I agree bridge, with you. You know, There's a, a bridge difference between, between a movie that becomes a cult and a movie where the studio just totally shit the bed with the release. Yeah. Yeah. Brazil would be in both lists. That's why it's so special. It's on the cult film list, and it's on the studio shit, the bad list. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. But, yeah, uh, let me think. Uh, I will place the raid with like we said, hard boiled, uh, strange days. Now that's a fucking cult action film that people need to see more. Yeah, I, I, it's so weird to me uh, that that film is seems seems to be kind of lost in time, and it has so many great actors in it, and. Um, Again, you told me to get drunk, so I can't remember the director's name, but she's she's won Oscars, Catherine right? Yeah, Catherine yeah. Bigelow. And there's still no so, Blu-ray. The DVD I right? had up with the chicken chip flipper. Right? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, I mean, yeah, that. I don't know if I would replace... The, I, the the one on the list is the raid redemption. If if I had to yeah. just replace, I, I would replace it with uh, the raid. I like or or you know I'll, there are a lot of cult films that have been coming out lately that have a very similar um, theme, well, like Snowpiercer. Yeah, the raid is one of those films that's so fucking influential. For the raid and the raid two. No. Yeah. It, there, there's a lot of these stories um, that, you know, like the raid seems more like it's um, a video game influence. Like you have to fight your way to the top to get to the boss. But then you have films like Snowpiercer where the poor people have to fight their way to the front of the train to get the, to kill the rich people. Or, or you have films I like, like Piercer, Snow Pisser. No. Hey, that'd be a hell of a movie. There's our other <laughs> cult film double feature. No Pisser. <laughs> uh, 
And uh, the platform, have you seen that one? The platform where the people live in the prison and they yeah. lower the food down. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, the raid is too influential to be just a cult movie. And the next yeah, one is yeah. another one. I'm like, why is this on the fucking list? And that's MacGruber. That movie was shit back then. It's shit now. It was based on a shit SNL skit during SNL shit years. So if you got that much shit, it's shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I don't know, man. Like, I'm a big Saturday Night Live fan, but that's just because I'm a comedy fan. And, you know, I watch Saturday Night Live every week, and I'll give them a chance to make me laugh. And, you know, I usually get a few chuckles here and there. But fucking Saturday Night Live movies need to just stop. You know, I don't need a movie. I'm talking just... during the era when MacGruber came out, especially. When they were right. basically shitting every fucking... They weren't doing skits on the show anymore. They were doing movie pitches. Yeah. You got Anita Locksberry. You got Superstar. You got MacGruber. You got 20 million freaking movies. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to look at it from a show business point of view. Like, uh, you know, Abby and I talk about this a lot because I'm I'm a curmudgeon, so I'll start pissing and moaning about all the, the same kind of stuff you're talking about right now. And Abby's always the voice of reason. She's like, well, yeah, but, I mean, you know, they don't want to be on Saturday Night Live for the rest of their lives. They want to parlay something into – a movie career or a, a sitcom or something that they can do afterwards, you know? So uh, the fact that Lauren Michaels uh, indulges that type of behavior is really more of the crime, but yeah. Well, they ha- there has- really SNL spinoff movie was the Blues Brothers, and I would put the Blues Brothers on here, even though I don't like it, over McGruber. Um. I, I'm not a huge fan of the Blues Brothers. I mean, I I it's enjoyable once in a while. Like I said, you know, there are a lot of movies that I'll stop and watch if I'm flipping through the channels and it just happens to be on, uh, you know. Yeah. But a lot of movies it's only get about mind. 10 minutes, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm surprised about because it actually is a sports cult movie. That slap shot. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That is the, yeah. Hockey, that is the hockey cult film next to Goon. Yeah, you got to love slap shot, man. Uh, and see, this, this plays... Okay, now this plays into what I was talking about before, but in, in a more genuine way. It's a comedy film that does get serious towards the end, but uh, the serious element of it is them playing in the in the final game, and that's that's an earned that's an earned uh, serious ending. You know, it's not just yeah. the stupid. You know, so, so many with uh, 
and I'm looking at another comedy, the Bingo Long Traveling All Stars. That movie deserves earned its sort of downbeat in. Yeah. Yeah, it's like you you wanna you know, the problem is like so many comedies it seems like they build up to some stupid romantic ending or you know, everything just works out in the end and you know there's always that there's always that scene just before the last twenty minutes where the characters that you've been laughing with for the last 80 minutes suddenly like don't get along anymore and then you have to be all like yeah. oh no how, how's this all gonna come together you know um but yeah like uh you know there it's not every comedy movie you do get a lot of funny stuff like even though it's not in anywhere on my scope of favorite films like austin powers you know it's funny right up until the end. Like, there's no big, you know, tragic yeah. denouement or whatever, you know. Just have their fun. Austin Powers, the best. And that's the one that every 99% of us see on video. Right? <laughs> yeah. There's certain films that you want to watch on the big screen. And there's certain films like Austin Powers and stuff that are great for pizza and beer and rent Yeah. Uh, it has great costume and set design, and it's definitely something that's beautiful to watch on the big screen. Uh, think about, uh, you know, I watch a lot of movies, but I don't go to the theater very often. Of course, this last year, we haven't really been allowed to go to the theater, but... Um, yeah. Even when the theaters are open 100%, I don't go to the theater very often unless I think a movie is going to be a spectacle, you know? Like, I'll I'll go see an Avengers movie or a Star Wars movie at the theater, you know, because I, or, you know, a Wes Anderson movie or a Quentin Tarantino movie because I know that, the, that oh. they're going to be visually stunning, you know? So... Yeah. But, and, uh... Like, uh, the ones that I'm glad I got to see in a movie story are two films that belong on this list. One is Puso, and the other is Mandy. I love yep. watching that one with a full audience, just to hear them go, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> speaking of, uh, speaking of. to watch, just so you can see. Speaking of Nicolas Cage, and uh, you and I were talking about this on the show a few weeks ago with Vicky, I wish I could have seen the color out of space on the big screen. I think that would have been amazing. I missed that by one week. Oh. It was either the color out of space or nice configuration, and I wouldn't see nice configuration. Yeah. Well, next on the list is American Psycho, which was a big blockbuster here, so I don't think that one counts. Yeah, weird choice. Um, uh, I guess maybe it's because 
it didn't it didn't necessarily make a big splash uh, when it landed in theaters. Christian Bale wasn't as big a star then as he is now, so I I don't I don't think he was the star power that they really needed to push that movie. But Smith were really 
some of the first real, what we would say, quote unquote, cult directors of our generation. Uh, yeah, but just let's be honest, you take out the whole video store jokes and clerks, and those jokes are still just as good as today. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's so relatable. You know, it's like, I worked a shitty job like that. And then you start (laughs) crying three seconds later. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, we we did talk about clerks a couple weeks ago on the show, and you asked me if that's what it's really like to work at a video store. And I, uh, yeah, yeah, there's a, uh, there. As far as I'm concerned, there are no jokes in that movie. That that was what it was like <laughs> ten years yeah. working at a video store. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, when I learned to be a kidney trainer, Dad, I had people come in, and I had been up since five a.m. making the whole breakfast line and all that, and they'd come up. Man, I slept in and I overslept. Did you feel no sympathy? <laughs> Motherfucker, I've been up since 5 a.m. You want sympathy? I will not punch you today. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't get sympathy. Go ahead. Yeah, as a trilogy. And they all have three things in common. One, they were hated when they first come out. Two, none of them made any fucking money and with the case of the sword yeah I think you and I have argued oh you were going to say it go ahead and say it you and I have argued about this before because I like Evil Dead 2 more than I like the Evil Dead. And I like Evil Dead more than Evil 2. And most of us say, fuck you, the Army of Darkness. Oh, yeah. No, Army of Darkness is ridiculous. But... I like Evil Dead 2 more than I like Evil Dead. Although, again, as a film fanatic, I do admire it. And I do believe it's a cult classic. Perhaps perhaps in in the dictionary sense, but... Evil Dead would have never gotten off the ground if it weren't for Stephen King. And not that he had anything to do with the actual production, but, you know, I mean, have you ever seen a story about Evil Dead 2? But I guess we can both agree to disagree 
I like Evil Dead 2 better than Evil Dead. You like Evil Dead more than Evil Dead 2, but both of us have agreed that Army of Darkness is the worst. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, we just move on. I mean, we got yeah. Ravenberg, we got Booby, we got Orr. I think um, I think I think the biggest problem uh, with Showgirls really was, you know, just like uh, it yeah, it it was. I mean, not as much as the latest Verhoeven movie. What what that? What was the latest film that he put out? That one was pretty much straight porn. I mean, it was a mixture of porn and violence that he had, uh, I can't remember the name of it, but I, yeah. Uh, if I was going to take a uh, show off the list, which I would, I would have placed it with another NC-17 movie that's a mix of sex and violence, and that would be Russ Myers Beyond the Valley of the Doll. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Beyond the Valley of the Doll is another movie that I wish that I could see on the big screen just because I love the vibrant colors and, uh, uh, yeah, the, the sex and violence, uh, is just a, is a bonus, but the, the costumes and the set and the colors in that movie are so amazing. And, uh, that was written by Roger Ebert, right? That shit insane during the last day. Right. <laughs> that wasn't beyond the value the of the dolls. That was written by, oh. yeah, Roger Ebert. Yeah, yeah Roger Ebert. Yeah, thought so. And our next film is a film that, you know, the money, the director, move my fucking movie. No, it'll be all right. People want to see another movie like this. No, move my fucking movie. Because, yeah, you're right. We 
we're the same age, so yeah, my parents took us to see E.T. Blade Runner and the Thing were not on the menu for for that, uh, you know, at that particular time. But uh, like I said, my parents were always really permissive about what they let us watch at home on the VCR. So once the Thing and uh, and Blade Runner came out on VHS, uh, you know, we got to rent those and. Uh, yeah, it's definitely that's definitely more in my lane. Uh, I don't I don't dislike ET, but I I don't know. Steven Spielberg is so schmaltzy for me. But I'm uh, not dissing ET. I'm just saying that ET's the worst we put out. And let's see, yeah. who put out ET? Yeah. Japan. I mean, I can see 
David Lynch is out there. We're going to let you make a movie, okay? It's going to be a Clinton movie, okay? I'll do that. But it's going to be a sequel to wrap that thing up neatly in a boat. Fuck that shit. Yeah, and it, it it did really well in Japan, but here in America, it flopped hard. It got booed at the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, yeah, it uh, it didn't do well, but I think with the addition of the third season of Twin Peaks, um, I think if you watch all of the films, uh, all of the episodes of Twin Peaks, and you watch uh, Fire Walk with me, you watch it all in order, I think that it's earned its place in the canon. Um, I I just... Uh, yeah, it, it works. It works. It's just... Uh, I liked it back then. I mean, it wasn't what I was expecting, but my fault, not the movie fault. Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you know, this this goes to this goes to something that you and I talk about all the time, and it's like, you know, you can't you can't blame the creator for your like or dislike of their content, you know, you know, you're walking in with the idea of what you want to do. That was a big problem. I have, that's probably why I couldn't get in the Star Wars episode one, two, and three. On one hand, you got George Lucas. Here's the movie. Enjoy. And on the other hand, you got the fans. This is our toy box. These are the ways we put the toys in there. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, we've made that joke before. It's my sandbox. I'm going to play with my my sandbox. I'm going to play with my toys any way I want. No, you can't. Well, yeah, I can. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And next yeah. is one that Oh yeah. Oh, you gotta love the Warriors. Yeah. And I mean the ball for Everything happening in the action film and by my members. Why did you do it? Why'd you wait silent? No reason. I just like doing things like that. Uh, see, now we were talking earlier, and I said there are a lot of directors whose films I'm kind of 50 50 on. Uh, Walter Hill, I'd say I'm more 75-25. He has made some films that I don't particularly care for, but The Warriors is not one of them. The Warriors is an amazing okay. film, you know, and yeah, if you're interested in that kind of exploitation, uh, you know, kind of gritty stuff 
then, yeah, you're going to love the Warriors. And if you've never seen the Warriors, then what the fuck are you waiting for? Go see the Warriors. It's available right now on, I think, I don't know, Amazon Prime, Netflix, who no, it's, it's on not, there somewhere. The only one available right now is that crappy version of animation, and it's not so much. <laughs> I love, I love the Warriors. Uh, yeah. Okay. No, it's a I've good... got my play on. I'm counting up things. Warning people, this is going to be a controversial moment in the film. Okay, Nate, repo man, go. Uh, All right. Here's the thing. Uh, we, we were talking about this earlier. I, I, I don't know, man. I fucking hate Repo Man. I, I like I Sid and Nancy, Alex Cox, same director. I like Sid and Nancy. But Repo Man seems like it should be right in my lane. I like UFOs. I like punk rock. I like, you know, there's so much about Repo Man that should have just sung to me. But I'm sorry, guys. I'm sorry, gang. I know I'm going to get some more hate mail for this, but I fucking hate Repo Man. It's a piece of shit movie. And the only thing I like about it is Harry Dean Stanton. Everything else can stick its own dick up its ass. I'm done with it. I, I've, I've tried a million times. <laughs> Enough said. Okay. Next is one where I would take off this film put in the whole Vengeance trilogy. And out of the series of three films, and you know which ones I'm talking about, don't you, Nate? Oh, yeah. Yep. For sure. Mr. Vengeance, Old Boy, which is the one listed, and Lady Vengeance, or Simpsons for Mr. Vengeance, Lady Vengeance. All three yeah. of these work so perfectly together. But I can remember how bad Old Boy messed me up when I first seen it. I mean, I was like watching the last bit of it, which we're not going to spoil sitting there, when it was leading to that moment, I'm like, oh, God, oh, no, God, God. no, no, they're not going to, oh, God, they're not going to get there. Didn't you feel the same way once you realized where it was going? You're like, oh, no. Yeah, old boy, old boy is a brilliant film, um, and I, yeah, I, I won't spoil the ending either for anyone who hasn't seen it, but um yeah it it's a it's a mystery that unfolds so slowly it's a slow burn movie that pays off really big in the end um and it i i don't know Stephen. there's really no way to talk about old boy without spoiling it there's so much great stuff that yeah, happens and the in- other two films are good because simply yeah. mr vengeance is not a prequel to it, but it's just three media, media, mediations on the theme. And Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance is a perfect lead into Old Boy. And Sympathy for Lady Vengeance is like a perfect epilogue. Yeah. Oh, and, boy. And let's, let's, let's 
let's be clear. We're talking about the original old boy. The Spike Lee remake is not worth your time. Don't, uh, I guess, I don't know what your time is worth. You can do whatever the fuck you want with your life. But if you want to watch old boy, don't don't watch the Spike Lee version. Watch the original version. Well, I have four and I probably understand. Someone goes, oh, I like this movie. It's clever. Come here. Fucking idiot. And that would be The Room. If you like The Room, you deserve to be backhanded. Call it clever. You deserve to be shot. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... The Room is a terrible, terrible film. Uh, more more interesting is the story of, or the mystery, rather, of Tommy Wiseau, the writer and director of The Room. Um, and you can, you can investigate that as long as the, you know... As as long as the day is long, you're never gonna figure it out. Uh, yeah. The, the dude... And I would take the room, put it in a garbage can, and crap all over it, and replace it and its so-called making of with a good film about the making of a bad movie and bad movie director, which would be Ken Burton's Ed Wood. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago as well. Ed Wood is one of my favorite films. It's easily the only Tim Burton film that I would ever watch again. Although we did have a little dust up because I mentioned that I liked Edward Scissorhands and a couple other Tim Burton films. And then you, then you got all pissed off at me and didn't talk to me for two days. Cause I said, I liked a Tim Burton film. <laughs> Yeah. No, that's not. Now the next yeah. one, all I got to do is retell the story that you told uh, last week for 1994. It's like you were working in this video store, and there was this title on there, and it was a video all of our stories. Like this title one of our friends or somebody or somebody we watched. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it's funny to think about because, you know, it's funny to think about because we talk about cult films and, you know, Tarantino is is spoken about in like hushed whispers as, you know, the guy who started the whole cult film underground with reservoir dogs, but we all know that's not true. And as someone who worked at a video store for 10 years, I did, I, you know, I resisted so many videos that came in because I was just like, yeah, this artwork looks like shit. Oh, live. Live video? Oh, yeah, these guys are a hot commodity. I, yeah, I definitely want to... We didn't mention this last week, but Reservoir Dogs was shot 
has a throwaway video title. So why video team Reservoir Dogs is the same as Silent Night, Deadly Night 4 and 5 and the Full Moon Pictures? Yeah, exactly. Like, I ignored that movie for so long because I I was just like, yeah, who gives a shit? This is some direct-to-video nonsense from some dude I've never heard of. And like you said, I told the story a couple weeks ago on the show. My friend Sean kept harassing me to watch it and watch it and watch it. And finally, I watched it. And now Quentin Tarantino is my favorite director of all time. So, you know. But, yeah. Uh, I don't know. This story is really what a dictionary definition of what a cult film is. Yeah. Right. Like, I would have never watched it if my friends hadn't kept trying to convince me to watch it. And that's how cult films work, you know? Uh, and and yeah. I think that's something I, – I think that's something that you and I uh, need to define here uh, in the home stretch is films and midnight films. Cult films and midnight films are different things, you know? Like – drug-based-oriented films that were shown in midnight not because they were planned that way. The reason El Topo started as a midnight movie was because that's the only time that John Lennon could get after showing his film. Like, okay, we're going to book you in at 9 o'clock, and then by the time your film is over, we're going to give everybody a piss break. And then, boom, midnight. Right. Yeah. And El Topo was the first big film, but it wasn't the first. You had got stuff like uh, uh, Fierce Creatures, Seeds, uh, the Kenneth Anger film, the art film Stoner or the gay film. Yeah. And, And one of the advantages of the midnight films was they didn't have to be feature length. You could bring a short film. And, you know, uh, that's how John Waters got his start, uh, with sh- with his short films like Eat Your Makeup and, uh, you know. Yeah, Shown in those... the Church Basement. <laughs> yeah, Shown in the Church Basement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right? But yeah, cool uh, film. Era than you would in the midnight movie era. You would yeah. get films that were good, but they would hit in the theaters. But because the video stores are so desperate to have product, they would just like snap it up. Yeah. You're starting yeah, to I, see I, that a little bit again with all these streaming services and every one of them needing product. And all the big studios would be like, these are my toys. I'm not going to share it with anybody else. What do I do? And then there's the guys like uh, a Quentin Tarantino, Reservoir Dogs there like, movie, I made it. It's done. Yeah. Can we stream it? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, 
I watch a lot of stuff on streaming services that I've never even heard of before. I'll just I'll I'll give your movie a chance, and if you can hook me in the first fifteen minutes, I'll sit and watch it. And you know, a lot of this stuff is really. I mean, we're we're talking about a new digital version of cult films. You know, movies that I probably wouldn't yeah, have ever bothered nice. with. <laughs> But next on the list is uh, Rushmore number 11, which I never liked the movie, but I love Bill Murray in it. It was nice. This is the film that was made Bill Murray's coming out party as a serious actor. Yeah, yeah. This, this was definitely when Bill Murray turned a corner and went to be a, a more serious actor. And uh, he, he continued that. And I do like Rushmore. And um, Wes Anderson is Abby's favorite director. So not only do we have every Wes Anderson film, we also have uh, books and artwork. I mean, we're, we, we're a Wes Anderson family over here. Uh, but I, as much as I like... No way I'm not going to put Rushmore on a cold film list. I don't have the right to put it on. I think that it deserves the spot. But and now let's see, move on. Let's see. Oh, my judge's office space. Oh, sorry. Not both of my judges' films. I love you. I love the opening to an awful place on cell phones, but the movie is pertinent because of an accident or just think catching up to it doesn't mean that it's a cult classic. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like Office Space quite a bit. I'm a big Mike Judge fan, particularly King of the Hill. Um but, yeah, I don't know how Office Space gets to be considered a cult classic. I mean, it was a flop in the theater, and then people bought it on DVD because it splashed across the cover. It doesn't even say on the cover of the DVD or the Blu-ray from the creator of King of the Hill. It says from the creator of Beavis and Butthead. So if, mm. sales, it, it, if sales ticks, based on the creator of Beavis and Butthead, uh, you know, mean that your DVD is now a cult classic, then I'm just going to slap that on all of the movies that I make from now on. I mean, come on. Office Space is a funny movie. Uh, move on real quick. Never ask it. Is it a cult classic? No. It's a classic. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, Monty Python, they were a hit in Britain and all of their films were big hits. Those aren't, yeah, Holy Grail is not a cult classic. Next! The last of the midnight movie, the last of the big one, spent like 40 years shooting this about how he's afraid of his daughter who's being born, afraid of being 
and a father, and as a racer is. Yeah, it belongs in. I I I think I think a razor head deserves more uh deserves more to be in the midnight movie category and like we said earlier uh Blue Velvet is definitely more of a cult film for David Lynch than a razor head. Mm. A razor head a razor head's a midnight movie. Yeah, here's another one with comedy falls flat because it's trying to be like the films that weren't that funny back then. And that's White Hot American Summer. I I like it a lot just because I like a lot of the uh, writers and actors that are in it. Um, but, yeah, um, when they did the TV show uh, last year, it kind of it kind of breathed more life into what was originally I, – I, the film itself is kind of stale and flat and they tried really hard to make some funny 80s style jokes. But yeah, I think the TV show that they did last year breathed more life into it. And if you watch them all together, the movie and the TV show, I think it really expands the universe to a point that it, it, it expounds the humor. And we're probably going you know. to go over a little bit when we ain't got that many films left. Okay? Next is one that's been thought about a lot, and that's Donnie Darko. What did you think of Donnie Darko? I think it's like Donnie Darko. I like Donnie Darko. Um, it's not one of my favorite movies of all time, but... Um, I do like it. I have a copy. I watch it. I actually watched it earlier uh, this week. Um, it's intriguing, but I, I I don't I don't think it sells itself. I understand why it would be considered a cult film, though, because definitely didn't do much. You, you at the box. Yourself, you never sell yourself. That's another one of those. If I didn't see any good reviews from people I trust, I wouldn't even bother with it. Because if you look at right. the video box word, it sucks. Yeah. All it is right. is star, 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 star. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do in, enjoy it because, you know, as a fan of, uh, like, you know, Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, UFOs, time travel, all that stuff. Like, it has an intriguing premise, but, um, and it looks beautiful. I just, I don't think that, I don't think Richard Kelly is a great director. Like, I don't think he has the, he has the ideas, but I'm sorry, I misspoke. I don't think he's a great writer. I think he's a good director. He has an eye for detail and things, but uh, when it comes to writing... He doesn't know how to connect them all together. Like, try to put all of the information in Donnie Darko's movie and Donnie Darko's website together to try to make any coherent freaking sense. Yeah, that that was... uh, Yeah, I think... uh, Donnie Darko was one of the first films that had like the uh, the website that they uh, tried to coordinate to do the whole countdown to 
when the movie was released, which, uh, you know, comes together with the countdown from when the world is going to end in the movie. And, uh, but yeah, it was kind of hackneyed and uh, ahead of its time. Well, but it was, it was good. Yeah. Better. Yeah. I, okay, yeah. Moving on, we have, uh, well, we don't have to talk about Spinal Tap because that's in every cult movie. If anybody wants to hear our opinions about Spinal Tap, they can read our blog because we already wrote about it five years ago. I don't give a shit. I've watched it 
so many times with so many people who assume that I want to enjoy it, and I do want to enjoy it. I, I do. I want to enjoy it. I like the cast. I like the songs. But the movie itself, I just, it doesn't come together in a way that's enjoyable to me. I, I just don't like it. Yeah. I, I don't for the rock and roll movie to come out in that year, I would rather go watch out, rock your picture show, and then put in Random of the Paradise. Yep, I'll I'll go with you on that one, man. I would rather watch Random of the Paradise than Rocky Horror Picture Show any day of the week. Yeah, for sure. Um, I just never cared for it. And like I said, I, I, I don't know what it is about it that I don't like. I mean... I'm not homophobic. Uh, I like the songs. I like the actors. There's nothing. The movie is a better spectacle as an audience than it is a movie. Just like watching a live production of it when they first did it back in England is a hell of a lot better than watching the movie. Because earlier we were talking about Hedwig and uh, you know, we were talking about the difference between the stage version and the film version, but the film version of Hedwig is still enjoyable, whereas the film version yeah. of Rocky Horror just does not do it. Remember, there was Bar version, which was the one that first shipped out. Then there was the movie version, and then there was the Broadway version that had Neil Patrick. Yeah, that and now we're getting all this crazy stuff nowadays where there's a film and then they make a Broadway version and then they make a yeah they make another film version of the Broadway version like you know like like how many times have you Show too for other reasons, yeah. but you know, 
that would definitely be their cult film. Uh, but
But the problem is, is people have forgotten the real lessons that they taught us. Yeah. Is that you I, I would have a movie about nothing or where people talk. <laughs> uh, mm. Nowadays, all they want is explosions. Yep. Explosions and, uh, you know, John Wick kicking people's ass because they killed his dog. Not that I don't like John Wick, but, you know. Uh, I I see the appeal, Mark but at the same time, part three is the best part of that. And there's another one that's going to be on my list. Yeah, I'm bring up some right. the castles on your ass. <laughs> Let's try to get that together for next week. I thought about the music, but full disclosure time. My mom's had COVID, and I've been not feeling that well myself this week. So sorry about Ken Mask. We can get all this shit yeah. as soon as we yeah. can. So if you grab a shovel and help dig, we're going to get the hole bigger quicker. Yep. More hands make less work. For the love of God, everyone. Thanks for listening, and please wear a mask and wash your hands. Okay, good night, everybody. Good night. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.